The Sellouts is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Nebraska football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Game time is really simple and intuitive. Once you've found the sporting event, music concert, or theater play you want to watch, simply click the listing and get your tickets using Game Time's easy two-step checkout system. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Memorial Stadium. Since 1962. Since 1962. A sellout crowd. A sellout crowd. All sold out. Hey, we sold out, but we still save you a seat. The Sellout with Mitch Sherman and Max Olson. Hey there and welcome into The Sellouts. I'm Mitch Sherman reporting live from week two of 39 off-season weeks between now and the end of August. It is cold in the state of Nebraska, literally and figuratively. Max Olson is with me, also in Nebraska. He covered the Big 12 title game last Saturday. He voted for the Heisman this week for the first time. Max, you're just living the uh, the college football life. <laughs> when you say week two of 39, it almost sounds like a, a guy scratching dashes in a, in a prison cell or something, right? Like just counting down it, the days. Well, I mean, you could look at it like that, but I'll... I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll choose not to. <laughs> Maybe by week four, that's kind of how this, it's going to be viewed. This off-season sentence that we've got here of of no bowl Nebraska football. It is. It is. It's it's recruiting. We're looking ahead to 2020, and today on this episode, we are going to look back at the 2019 season, the season in review, if time permits. We will discuss a few other things in this still bustling world of college football. It is a busy week in the world of college football outside of the state of Nebraska. Um, if we have, if time permits, I think it will. We'll get to some of that at the end. But I want to start here with maybe the most basic of all questions at the end of this five and seven season as we look back from South Alabama all the way through the, the Iowa game. And just ask what went wrong. What is, is that broad enough for you, Max? I, I, what what went wrong with the 2019 Nebraska football team, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, so we've had you know we've had a week or two here to kind of stew on that a little bit. How how is I guess first of all, like kind of how is that sat with you? Have you been thinking about this much, or have you kind of moved on to the next thing here with? Uh, you know, recruiting and off season and, and all that stuff. I mean, I, I like that we took a little break to kind of ponder this, but uh, I'm, I'm curious if things have changed for you at all since. I felt like I needed a mental break after the Iowa game. I, I had prepared myself probably more for what could have been to come if Nebraska had found a way to win that game and mm-hmm. then spent my December, you know, getting all geared up for the pinstripe bowl or the quick lane bowl so it was like a it was like a throwing cold water in my face on November 29th. You know, not not that I had personal reasons to to want anything to happen, <laughs> but 
You don't, you know, you, you don't make it sound this, like you'd already booked your flight to LaGuardia or well, something. Well, <laughs> you know, honestly, like in this job, I mean, another month of the off season is a little daunting. The off season yeah. in college football is already so long. So I, I, w- I was preparing myself after the way Nebraska played at Maryland to think, okay, it's possible that this team can upset Iowa, and if so, I'll have I'll have material, you know, in front of me for another three or four weeks about this season. There'll be kind of a, an easing out period of the season. It just all ended so abruptly. Uh, not a real chance to, to talk to seniors at the end of this thing. So, yeah, that was a different experience. In all the years that I've covered college football, it was maybe the most abrupt ending to a season at, at, uh, at any time. It took me, it did, it took me a week to kind of just get up off the mat and figure out like what was next and what I was going to do. I, I and, understand that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, so I wrote something before the season, uh, kind of a more national story looking at basically, um, the college football teams that go through, you know, the season from hell, as I called it, where, you know, yeah. a team that is a pre preseason top 25 ranking, um, and ends up, you know, unranked or or losing season or whatever, and it happens every year. There's a bunch every year, and um, I think uh, I think this 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 season qualified for Nebraska, and and I think the weird thing um, when you say what went wrong, I think the the awkward thing for everybody is that there's just there's not one easy scapegoat. You know, this is not like in 2017 when you when you could say, okay, well. You know the the Sean Eichhorst firing that really cranked up all the pressure during that season, early on in that season, and then you know the the Bob Diaco hire was was an awful hire, and and that's why they failed. You know, like what, you can look at some of these past years and say, well, you know, if um, they they fired this guy and then it got better or whatever, like you can't really pin this on one thing that you can just like go and and replace. You know, I mean, everything everything um, fell short of of what anyone expected. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, I think I kind of we kind of got past the whole. Hey, was it the offense's fault or the defense's fault or the fault of the play calling? Oh so, man, it, it fluctuated so much. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so much looking to assign blame here as much as I am to uh, try to track where things or wh- when, where, how it went off the tracks. And for me, I, and I've maybe oversimplified this in my mind, but I, I had built up week two at Colorado before mm-hmm. the year. As such a big thing. I mean, we've talked about this, and you know, I I just had it in my head. I often, you know, in doing whether it was radio interviews or you know some kind of a breakdown of this, the year ahead, looking at the schedule, I just pinpointed that game in Boulder as so important for Nebraska because, of course, Nebraska did not go on the road and win a game in yeah. 2018 in Scott Frost's first season. I felt like that was such a hurdle to clear, and it was such a winnable game. For Nebraska, with Mel Tucker coming in, new sure. coach at Colorado. Um, I mean, the Buffs were just a mess at the end of 2018. So it was like, okay, Nebraska's in year two, Colorado's in year one. It's the it's the you know the old time traditional rival, the opportunity to you know have this have this um, you know cleansing. And the Huskers, of course, got up 17 nothing and then lost that game with a terrible second half. You know, fell apart yeah. in the fourth quarter. The um, you know the mental toll that that game took with the way that it ended, the way that Frost called that game offensively toward the end and in overtime, you know, very very tentative. I I, don't, I feel like Nebraska never quite recovered from that. So as important yeah. as I felt that game was going into the season, I, I I you know losing it to me was just a huge thing on, on that that weighed down 
the rest of the season, not to be too I, dramatic. I, I'm with you, and, and I think it's a defining moment. Um, I, I think that that Nebraska team, uh, you, you like, you saw the confidence from them early on. They, it's almost like yeah. they kind of felt like they arrived, and then it's really, you know, that second half is is really, it's kind of a record scratch, right? I mean, it's you, you totally blow it against a team that um, finished five and seven, and and I, it, it was sort of a tone setter in the sense that. Um, Nebraska struggled with those kind of teams, you know, throughout. And, and, and I think that, um, ever since then, uh, I don't think it's unfair to say that it seemed like Scott Frost had a hard time kind of pushing this, this group's buttons. I mean, you, you, you saw it with the, the Minnesota, Indiana, Purdue stretch, um, where it's sort of like, all right, do you go hard on them? Do you defend them publicly? Like kind of, how do you reach these kids that have never like really won big or won you know, at, at Nebraska and, and kind of, how do you, how do you show them how to do it? And it just seemed like every week was a different, um, it, you know, it was just a sort of a slow roller coaster in that sense of like, what what is it going to take for this thing to flip? Yeah, there were so many buttons that the coaches tried to push and Frost in particular that he tried to push, you know, whether it was speaking to them through the media or in a lot of times I think he he delivered the same message in his post game. Uh, briefings that he did in the locker room. He'd come out of the locker room and he'd kind of give a toned down version of what he said. And it was one week, you know, he, he got after the players. He took, he took the nice approach. He got after the defense, you know, he put it on himself and it never seemed, he never seemed to be able to find that button to push that, that, that worked properly. So I I don't know where that leaves him coming out of this season. I I still don't think he quite knows how to connect with these guys. And and he has to bank on the the, the fact that now when the coaches are largely away from the team, with the exception of about a month in March and April, that they find a way for this thing to click, you know, it's, it's on the players to, to, to be able to respond, to find the way to be able to respond to what these coaches are, are doing. And, and, yeah, uh, that's a that's a difficult task through this offseason. You hope that there you, that that you make a lot of progress as a program is is building in the way that Nebraska is now. I mean, it goes without saying that you hope that you make your greatest improvements, your greatest progress in these three months of the fall, and that's not what we saw from Nebraska in, in this calendar year. Well, and there's just, I mean, I guess where do you where do you start on on the things that that need fine tuning, right? I mean, I, I don't think either of us ever expected that this would be uh, a 28 points per game offense. You know, I think if they had been, if they're scoring 35, 38 a game, like we sort of figured. And and like, I think uh, a lot of people sort of hoped um, you just think about how different this season looks because you could get away, uh, you know, with what you're, you're doing on defense, I think in, in a lot of those games. And, and, and that's not to say the defense played poorly, but I just think you could outscore people and they, they were never really able to, figure out how to do that in, in big 10 no. play. I mean, certainly um, you, you add to this that you had pretty much the worst special teams play in the country. Like I, I oh. can't think of a way uh, for it to be much worse. Um, you know, a lot of that's luck um, and, and bad luck, but you know, that was um, that, that wasn't just like for a stretch. That was, that was problematic every week. Bad in every way. I mean, the kicking thing was a disaster from week from before week one with Barrett Pickering. We're not going to rehash that, but it, it's amazing how it just it 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 bled into every area of the special teams. Nebraska's inability to cover kickoffs. I, I you know I talked about this late in the season, I believe, on one of our podcasts. How you could just see when Nebraska played at Purdue that. It was going to something really bad was going to happen with their kickoff coverage toward the end of the season, as Wisconsin and Iowa 
appeared on the Nebraska schedule, and, and I thought they were yeah. going to give up. A, yeah, I thought they were going to give up a kickoff return for a touchdown, um, and they gave up one against Wisconsin and one against against Iowa, and, <laughs> right. and they were both just just daggers in in to Nebraska. Right, you know, you kick off generally after you score, so um, <laughs> they were right after momentum changing scores for Nebraska. Uh, you know, that part of special teams was horrible. Um, just here this week, there news that Isaiah Stalberg has entered the transfer portal and has announced that he's leaving Nebraska. So, you know, not really one of those transfer portal situations where, you know, the door is open. I think it would be open if he wanted to come back, but he's made it clear that he wants to leave. This is Nebraska's best special teams player, uh, arguably from, you know, you could put um, a couple others in that category, but he led the team in special teams tackles. He had a blocked punt, was productive as a safety when he came in, a walk on from Kearney, Nebraska. But, um, nonetheless, you know, somebody that you would hope to have back to kind of build your special teams around. So, well, well you know, one uh, of those kind of walk on players they want to build on and eventually give scholarships to you. Yeah, he would have earned a scholarship at some point in his career. So, um, you know, not doesn't bode extremely well for special teams down the road, but they are, they are unquestionably going to focus a huge amount on that area in spring football, um, throughout the off season as much as they can. I, I think you'll see Zach Crespo, um, you know, not a full-time staffer, but somebody who's an who's an on-campus coach, um, get m- more heavily involved. He did as the season went along. Uh, Javon Dewitt, you know, by by title, uh, is the special teams coordinator, and he works a lot with those guys. But he's also the outside linebackers coach. So mm-hmm. uh, Crespo will continue to be involved, I think, a, a lot in uh, in how they they shape these special teams. So, hey, um, question that uh, I want to ask going a little bit back to that to that Colorado thing. Yeah. Wh- what would Nebraska's record be today, December 11th, if the Huskers had beaten Colorado in week 2? Yeah, you know, this is the thing and like I, I I don't I don't want this to come off the wrong way as I'm not six trying to 6 and 6. I'm not trying to be well, well let me let me explain my thoughts on this, okay? So, I'm not this is I'm not trying to come off homery here, okay? But I think like I think it is good to remind yourself as, as you look back on this stuff like it's never it's it's usually never as good or as bad as you think, and and I think that the, even the programs that are great, I think, understand that. And like I like I think Nebraska was just a few little breaks away from being a seven seven win team. Um, like I, I yeah. think if they finish Colorado and they finish either Purdue or Indiana, um, you know, we wouldn't be saying this is like a great team. I just that that it was like a. I think the perception would be well, this was a scrappy team that that found some ways to win. But then you go off to a bowl and you have a chance to win an eighth game, and I think there's momentum and there's growth, growth, and it, and it really helps you um, in every way. And I don't think Nebraska was was that far off from from achieving that, don't you think? Yeah, you know somebody's gonna gonna listen to this and say, well, why not nine? You know they could have beat Colorado, Indiana, <laughs> Purdue, and Iowa. That right. would be nine, that would be nine wins. And I would say in response to that, they could have lost easily to Illinois. And then you saw the way the Northwestern game ended at home. Dude, with the I field mean, goal that couldn't they have lost to South Alabama if that game went a little different? I mean, come on. Could have. Could have, yeah. That, that, uh, I think that <laughs> game went about as great bad as it possibly either. could have. It went about as bad as it possibly could have for Nebraska, and they still won by, by two scores. But, they did. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if you want to take, that, take that, uh, that way of thinking, I mean, this could have been a two-win team. So, no, I, I, I agree. I, I, think, um, I think seven – is where this team would have been if it had won in Boulder. I think that they, they would have had more energy, more confidence, would have found a way to win one of those games, whether it was Indiana, Purdue, 
or Iowa at the end. So, you know, seven, like you said, seven and five is a whole heck of a lot different than five and seven when you're, you know, you're going to like the Red Box Bowl or the Pinstripe Bowl. So, right. Uh, maybe that's what 2020 will hold. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're not saying Nebraska's back if they go seven and five, but I just think it would have, it would have helped you um, just get like just enough momentum where, you know, like I think you're, you're going to see it now where like, it, it like it's tough for, for them to. I'm very fa- I'm I'm very curious to see how they finish the 2020 class because I think that's one of those classes where if you go out and win a bunch of games, you you probably have a chance to go sign a bunch of those kind of guys you want to get. And after a season like this, look, you're selling early playing time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think a kid is going to be a little bit more concerned about where Nebraska's heading. If you have a seven, eight win season, I think people are, are, are more eager to jump on board. So that's what I'm saying. There's just a lot of little ways where just being a little bit better, I think really kind of speeds this thing up. Yeah. You could argue that this next week for Nebraska is the most important week of the off season. What, what happens between now and December 18th is going to impact the, the, this team for 2020 and beyond mm-hmm. more than anything that, that, that ha, you know, more than spring football, more than anything that happens, you know, the, the weight, the weightlifting, the conditioning, this is it. I mean, this is, this is their opportunity to change the roster, uh, in a, in a, in a big way for 2020, you know, whether it's through finding junior college players, you know, if you can get Omar Manning to sign out of, uh, out of Texas, mm-hmm. that's a huge addition, of course, at receiver, um, there are other players out there who can who can help change the roster in a, in, a, in a similar way. So, what these coaches are out on the road and, and do between now and, and December eighteenth is uh, is is hugely important. I, I will add here because I think I mentioned this earlier on an earlier episode um, about Savion Morrison. I was in Tulsa this week to report on him, and we'll have a, a, a yeah. story out, a profile story on Savion on Monday on the Athletic. He is now intending to sign next week. There was some question in his mind about whether he would wait until February. Um, not necessarily because he he wanted an offer that he didn't have. Um, I think he just wanted to see what would happen. And sure. after visiting with Scott Frost on the Sunday after the Iowa game, he is now um, he is now in the in the fold and will sign on, on Wednesday. So that's good news for Nebraska. Um, they're going to need more good news between now and December 18th. Well, look, and this, I think this sort of takes us into, um, you know, uh, a topic that comes with all of this that we're, I'm sure we're going to have to sort out a lot over the course of the offseason. And that's, you know, that's the talent piece for Nebraska. I mean, the, the, the reality is they didn't have a single all Big Ten player this year. I mean, Lamar Jackson got second team on one of them, and Cleo Davis was third team on the coaches, but. I mean that that's where they're at, you know. And look, there's there's it's both perception and reality there, right? But um, you you get those guys through uh, evaluation and and development and and, and time, you know. And, and that you know the years of attrition um, have been been costly, and and that for this program, and it has to to uh, slow down at some point. They need to they need to turn the 2019 class into a successful one. Um, you need to make great evaluations in this group and in, in, in this 2020 class and you know, find the right pieces that will help you win now so you can continue to develop your young guys. Um, you know, it's going into year three now. You can't just, you know, sort of point to and, and blame what you inherited. It's it's time to, you know, really get a plan together. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, we're taping this on Tuesday night and I have a, a, a column coming out tomorrow on The Athletic about that exact, it's like you've, it's like you've read my column um, about... Uh, <laughs> I have not. How it... it 
Yeah, it is. It is. It is past time now for Nebraska to stop talking, and, and Scott Frost in particular, to Scott stop talking about the, the problems that they inherited from the previous regime. I, I think you know, in addition to that, just just starting to become um, a little bit old. I don't think people want to hear that anymore. I think it also becomes, and I wrote this, a, a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy with the players when the guys who were in the program now for three, four years, you know, the ones who are still left, um, who were recruited by Mike Riley have now, and have now been coached by Frost for two years, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's not good for them to hear, hey, these guys have confidence issues that are lingering. I mean, look, these coaches have been here for two full years, 24 months. They've got another nine months until they play another game. That is plenty of time. Time for them to have coached these players up, and I, I really don't think it's any kind of a of a of a of a talking point in 2020 to say, all right, you know, hey, we inherited all these problems. This is not to say that Nebraska should win 10 or 11 games next year, but it's no longer, um, in my opinion, uh, worth mentioning. Even if there are issues that are lingering from 2017, it's time to get past that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This this sort of thing it, it it makes me think back to I had a conversation with um, uh, Dana Holgerson earlier this year, and I, when I was working on the the realignment story on on West Virginia and their move to the Big Twelve, and and one thing he told me that sort of came to mind for me, you know, in the recent weeks here is you know they ran into trouble early on at West Virginia uh, in joining the Big Twelve um, because he you know he found out you can't really win a Power Five league with like 30 good players. He said you need to have about 55 that can really play. And, you know, like in the Big East, which he used to coach in, which turned into the American, like you could get away with having 15 to 20 high-end guys and mm-hmm. be really good. And, and and I think you, you know, I don't say this to dismiss what, what Scott Frost and his staff did at UCF. I just think that, you know, it's it's dangerous to make assumptions that, that what they did, how quickly they turned around UCF, you know, it's it's a little apples and oranges here. You know, because I the I think it's I'm not saying that was an easy turnaround. I'm just saying you don't need as many high level guys uh, to be successful really quickly in a place like Orlando. You know, UCF was such a different job from from Nebraska, and and it doesn't mean these um, coaches got worse or anything. It just means that they need to acquire a lot more talent here. Uh, I think to get where they got. Do you think that they need to change their standard on? what they consider um, acceptable on Sunday through Friday to be able to give kids an opportunity to play on Saturday. I, I, now, I say that because there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of dead weight among the players on scholarship on this roster, mo- many of whom were brought in before Frost arrived, but yeah. uh, players who, who were expected to be important contributors and haven't developed into that in large part, I think, because of what the coaches see from them in practice. Um, they have a high standard for what they expect, and in a lot of cases, these guys don't get opportunities to play if they're not doing it seven days of the week. So, in light of what you said about needing fifty-five players to play at a high level, does Nebraska need to look at what they expect out of all of these guys the other six days of the week? <laughs> That's the weird thing, right? Like it's hard for you and I to sort of know what they have because like you, like a great example here, like we all season long, you hear like, Oh, the, the young wide receivers, like they're starting to come on. Right. We're, we're really, we're asking them to, you know, we're, we're starting to see some things from them in practice. I think you'll see some of them start to play a little more and it just, it just never happened. Right. It never really happened. Um, it did you, not. Some of them would show up at some point, but but not nobody coming out and 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 getting 
um, demonstrably better and and earning a big role and making plays and stuff, right? So Only it's like, one day how Robinson. do you and I know like what they've got at wide receiver, right? We're not watching practice every day. We don't know what the problems are with each of the young players that isn't getting on the field. It, it, like it's hard for us to say, is it too hard a coaching or do these are are these some players that just are not ready to or or may never be ready to play um, at 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 the Big Ten level? I, I it's so hard to say, right? Yeah, I mean, I see it with like some offensive linemen, some of the older offensive linemen. Um, John Raritan, a player like that, who's been in the program for three or four years. You know, clearly there's a you know a guy like Jalen Bradley, um, who I don't think will be with Nebraska for for much longer. Uh, look, it just hasn't come together for him. He's also somebody who ran for three thousand yards as a senior in high school at Bellevue West. So, I I I I often wonder what is going on with these guys in practice that is not allowing them to get on the field and at least get some kind of an opportunity. There are there are others. There's some defensive linemen who are in that same situation. These guys are on scholarship, and I, I and I wonder uh, it, it it'll be something to explore in the off season if Nebraska has to. Um, change the way that it's going about evaluating their, their readiness to be able to get on the field. If they just need to be able to give them a chance. I can tell you from having been around some of Nebraska's all-time great teams, you know, we're going way back to the beginning of, of my career. There were players, plenty of players, who didn't get it done every mm-hmm. day in practice. Mm-hmm. But the coaches at some point recognized, we just have to get this guy on the field. And in a lot of cases, those players became stars. So sometimes it has to happen on the field before it kicks in on the practice field or on the game field, or perhaps it never happens on the practice field. And you just recognize this guy isn't going to be everything that I want him to be as a coach in this program, but we need to play him because he's a good player. So, well, and, um, and look, man, I, I think this is one of dozens and dozens of examples of like, I, I look, I think everything is up for evaluation this offseason. Every every aspect mm-hmm. of this is uh, is up for evaluation this offseason for the staff. Like I don't think anyone can afford to have an ego about this and point fingers at everyone but themselves. You know, like uh, Scott Frost is is not on the hot seat and and that's a huge luxury um, nowadays in coaching, right? After after 2 years of not being successful. But I I would still think he's going to approach this um, with with some urgency, don't you think? Like I I think you have to do a pretty thorough inspection of everything and you know you kind of hunt for your deficiencies and I and I and I I have no doubt Frost and his guys are going to do that don't you think yeah I mean as long as urgency isn't interpreted to mean that he's going to start firing assistant coaches and I think sometimes which hasn't happened in, right I mean yeah, in, in the in the week two weeks after the season ends we <laughs> I haven't, haven't noticed seen, anything no well this <laughs> is the time happened. of year when when yeah. you start hearing oh, yeah. that stuff you've seen it in a lot of programs already and, and that oh, hasn't yeah. happened so far they just jumped right on the road and got right to recruiting no I don't expect that to happen so and sometimes it is strategic in not allowing it to happen until after recruiting ends. That's when Nebraska lost Mike Dawson a year ago to the to the yeah. New York Giants. It was more of him wanting to uh, to move on to the NFL. But there, there always is an exodus of assistant coaches right around this time, right after the regular season, and then another one um, after all of recruiting is done. Let you see less of it around Christmas. I just don't, you know, after the early signing period, it's only been yeah. two years with the early signing period, but um, there, there, there definitely is another exodus in, in February, in early February. Sure. Could it happen in Nebraska? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't expect it to, but I agree with you that there, there, there has to be an urgency. I do feel uh, that there is 
in, 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 in just the words that Scott Frost has used in, des- in describing how he wants this thing to move forward, yeah, I do sense an urgency. But um, at, at, this, at this point, I don't think it's going to involve um, coaches being fired. Could somebody yeah, move and I'm on? I'm not calling like for a that. Year ago? Just yeah. to be clear, yeah. I'm, I'm not calling for that. I'm just saying yeah. that <laughs> I, I'm sure that he is um, – you, you can't just be, all right, let's keep, keep what we're doing – Keep, keep doing what we're doing full steam ahead, right? I think this is, and I and I know he rolls his eyes sometimes at the at the over analysis and in press conferences and stuff, and 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 a lot of times I don't blame him, but I, I think it's this is uh you got to open up the hood here and and figure out um you know figure out what's wrong with this this vehicle. Yeah, we talked about some of the young guys, and um, I want to ask, do do you think that he handled Luke McCaffrey correct this year? That that. Uh, um, well, let's take the let's take the game, the Indiana game, out of the equation where he played one play when Noah Vegel's head. I'm po- not sure that was off. the best way to handle it. Was to to throw him in for one snap. No, uh, we can say the other that. three games that he played, the other three games that Luke McCaffrey played, uh, got Nebraska fans all worked into a lather this off season. You know, the McCaffrey talk is going to just be be wild when spring practice gets started. Um, but uh, are are you you comfortable with with the look that Nebraska got at him as a as a freshman who played in just four games? So you said we we're in week two of thirty nine, right? Yeah. So that means we've got about thirty seven more podcasts to talk about Luke McCaffrey now, don't we? We're only talking about him <laughs> and his use for t- in twenty nineteen today. Let's not, we're not going to predict his snaps yet. Well, but we will the, get you know, that. but this is the thing. I think that um, you know, it, I it was it was a really compelling. Um, situation against Iowa where you you throw Luke McCaffrey in there uh, he makes a big play for you uh, provides a spark but you go back to Adrian Martinez and you, and you probably had to there um, because you, you you know I don't think he I don't think Scott Frost wanted to open the door to this conversation sort of consuming um, this state for the for this entire offseason but they kind of did you know and 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 I think that while I think it's a positive um for Adrian Martinez to have good players behind him that push him to get better. I mean, I think we saw like you could point to the Tarmy Armstrong era and say that that didn't that wasn't really the case and you didn't see a lot of change because there wasn't great backups pushing you to get better, right? But at the same time, it, this is sort of cranking up the pressure and the scrutiny on Adrian Martinez and what's he going to do to sort of to win this thing back when when you and I both know how much uh, this team uh, loves and respects him, right? I, they've opened the door um, yeah. to this controversy, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll call it a controversy. And um, I don't, at, at this moment, I don't know the. We need answer. some like we need some like controversial music that we can just put in here, <laughs> like, like the uh, breaking news. It's uh, it's like, it's officially a controversy. <laughs> I, I, I kind of hate I, that term with quarterbacks, but I, yeah, I mean yeah. that's what I mean. Isn't that? You know, I, I think Luke McCaffrey, even the, when he was banged up at times, you, you didn't see it, but I, he played just enough and showed just enough um, that people are excited about it. But then again, maybe are, are we just overreacting this because the backup's always popular? Like, what, I don't know. What, uh, what's your perspective uh, on this? Us, ultimately? us and everybody else are overreacting. No, look, if Scott Frost, Scott Frost wanted to win the Iowa game more than he cared about opening this can of worms and what completely blew my mind was not Luke McCaffrey coming in in the first half um, or Luke McCaffrey coming in to throw a touchdown in the third quarter. It was 
Luke McCaffrey coming into the game in the final on the final offensive drive to potentially spark Nebraska to the winning points, and it didn't work out like that. There was a penalty on that play that basically torpedoed the the, the drive right there. But yeah, wow, that decision right there, I think, is a tone setter <laughs> for the offseason and and the, and the way that this discussion is going to be framed. So I'm okay with the way that he was used. I would have liked, honestly, to have seen and and I I I thought this going into the year that. They if, if they didn't use him in 12 games, which that's fine, you make that decision in August and you go with it, you stick with it as long as he's as long as there are not massive injuries, you know, by like Vedral and and Martinez are both out, then you stick with that plan. Um, I would have liked to have seen them just be a bit more strategic in the way that they that they brought him off the bench and against Maryland and against Iowa. I think they finally got to that point, but in the future, as they as they strategize with these talented true freshmen, the guy who can the guys who can actually impact games in their first years while they redshirt, um, you know, I think they'll want to uh, take a look back at the way that worked with McCaffrey this year, and and you know, determine okay, you know, he could have impacted four games in a big way. I think we look well, at him now and you yeah, see that. that, and that's the fascinating thing. Like, I actually think that like I actually would would praise this staff for. And people would probably disagree with me, but I'd praise him for the four game redshirt on this. Like, I think that's the long term um, smart play there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, it it is tempting, and and you saw people calling for Noah Vedral uh, many points this season. But like, I, I, it is tempting to go back and think, okay, well, how many games um, beyond four could McCaffrey have impacted Nebraska and and helped them make some plays? And maybe they're a bowl team with him. I don't know. It, it's still a true freshman. He was banged up at times. Um, you know, maybe with how he's practicing, who knows? Maybe you feel like he hurts you more than he helps you at some point early on in the season as he's still figuring it out. Um, but certainly, I think you saw a, a spark there. And <laughs> uh, can of worms is a good term for it, but I feel like it's like uh, it's like the the gummy worms. Like it's like very bright colored. Like it's 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 good sugary worms. You just don't know what to do with it. You know. <laughs> Are they, can they be like the sour? Uh, the sour ones are the best. I, so. I like those. I yeah. like those. But if you eat too much of them, it, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have a stomach. You just feel you terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you feel terrible. All right. Um, sour, one sour thing bright color, we, crawlers. Yeah. That's the Nebraska quarterback room in right. 2020. And it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Logan Smothers coming into the mix. Uh, there's there's another place that I will be next week. Uh, when maybe when we take our tape our podcast for next week, I'm you, you're headed just, to Alabama. You're just like to, getting in your car and driving to Alabama. Yep. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not getting in my car and driving to Alabama. I am taking a, a plane to Nashville and then driving to Alabama okay, to see Logan move. Smothers. He's he's uh, headed off to the Mississippi Alabama All Star Game this week. We'll be playing in Hattiesburg on on Sunday at Southern or Saturday at Southern Ooh. Miss, and then uh, and then I'm going to see him early next week. And and there'll be a story up on the athletic website. On Wednesday morning, that's the plan. On do, do you remember signing day morning? Do you remember a couple of years ago when Nebraska fans treated the Peach Bowl as basically their bowl game and went to watch Scott Frost play Auburn? Yeah, do, yeah. Do you think, UCF, do you think Husker right, fans right. should just pack up and head Ooh. down to Hadesburg for for uh, for their little uh, <laughs> <laughs> their, their makeup bowl? Check check the updates during the week before you do that because Logan is is dealing with some injuries that linger from <laughs> the the playoffs in Alabama. And while his father, Shane, the offensive coordinator at Muscle Shoals High School, where he he uh, played this year uh, as a senior, uh, in t- you know expects Logan to be able to play in this Mississippi Alabama All Star game, we'll, we'll see. 
um, you know how the uh, how the coaches in that game feel no, about putting a, this, a, an this, injured this is a good warning. I, I don't want people to get in their cars and drive to Alabama and then find out yeah. he's not playing. That 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 yeah, that just would just, suck. Uh, it, just and don't drive to Alabama because the game's in Mississippi. But but <laughs> in Mississippi, excuse me. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. Right. All right. Well, you know, we were going to talk about the college football playoff and the Heisman. We're not going to do that. Just go listen to Andy Staples' podcast, Stu and Bruce. Our college football playoff teams, you know, Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, they've got podcasts to listen to. So we're going to finish this thing up today with uh, with that little note about Logan Smothers and also the warning that Scott Frost will be addressing the media on Wednesday afternoon next week. And I would expect some kind of an update on Adrian Martinez and whatever is going on with him health-related as we head into this offseason. What a tease. So, yeah, that is a tease. I don't have any great information for you on that. It's more based on comments that Scott Frost made late in the season that he will uh, he'll talk about that when the year's over. I would expect, though, uh, for some news or certainly more clarity and an outlook for what to expect from Adrian um, as he heads toward the spring, whether he's well, going to be available. You know what I love about that? Yeah. That gives What's us that? something to talk about. It will. It will give us, us something to talk about as this December drags on at the start of the off season. So actually, December is going to be a pretty busy month the rest of the way. So thank you all for listening today and for listening all season. We want to let you know that we will be here weekly for now. We will add to that and adjust when needed. You can find all of our episodes on the Athletic app and website and As of now, all of our episodes will be free on Apple and Spotify. So subscribe to The Sellouts. You won't miss an episode. Also, subscribers to The Athletic will have access to exclusive episodes when and if those come out in the offseason. And you can subscribe to The Athletic using this special promo and receive 40% off. That is theathletic.com slash the sellouts. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Thanks, everyone.